Well, good morning again. Good morning to those of you who are joining us online. Welcome to our fourth and final week of the series, PB&J, where we talk about creating connections that are that good. And of course, we're talking about the power of relationships, creating those relationships that are truly satisfying. Now, uh, just in case anyone is counting, I want to set the record straight, being that this is the last week of the series. I have friends. Um, in fact, I have a lot of friends. I have, as of my census this week, 1,491 friends. Um, but uh, ironically, I only have 283 connections. Uh, and yet, if, if you want to judge me for that, here's what I want you to know. I've got over 500 followers. <laughs> kind of a big deal, uh, just in case you're wondering. Um, now, if, if you lived, you know, if you, if you got someone from 20 years ago and put them in a time machine and had them show up here today and, and listen to me talk this way, listen to how we talk using these kinds of words, they would be so confused. They would have no idea what's going on. Maybe some of you have no idea what's going on. That's okay. But, uh, you know, social media, the age that we're living in, has shaped the way that we use words like friends and connections and even followers. It's morphed our language, but I think more than morphing our language, what is happening right now, and that's why this series is so important, what's happening right now is that, is that the foundations, these age-old foundations of things that are so basic to life, like how we relate with one another and intimacy and relationship and closeness and companionship, th- those foundations are shifting under our feet as we start to you know, just, just evolve into a, a more technological culture and, and all kinds of impact. Now, today I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to talk about the impact of social media, but this is going to be so much bigger than social media. But right away, I just I want to get it out of the way and I want to throw social media under the bus. I want to blame it for all of our problems with relationships. So we're going to do that and then we'll move on from it. And so to start off, um, I want to show you about a three-minute video. This has circulated on uh, Facebook and stuff a few weeks ago. The guy uh, who was speaking is named Simon Sinek. I talked to you about him a few weeks ago. Uh, he, he talks about starting with why, if you remember that. And um, this is an interview he was doing about the millennial generation, about millennials in the workplace. And um, as he's doing this interview, talking about millennials in the workplace, um, he begins to talk about something that's really important to the series. He begins to talk about connection and the nature of social media. So about three minutes, go ahead, take a look. So you have an entire generation growing up with lower self-esteem than previous generations, right? Through no fault of their own. Through no fault of their own, right? They were dealt a bad hand, right? Now let's add in technology. We know that engagement with social media and our cell phones releases a chemical called dopamine. That's why when you get a text, it feels good, right? So, you know, we've all had it where you're feeling a little bit down or feeling a bit lonely. And so you send out 10 texts to 10 friends, you know, hi, 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 hi. Because <laughs> it feels good when you get a response, right? Right? It's why we count the likes. It's why we go back 10 times to see if, and if it's going, if our, my Instagram is growing slower, I would, I, I, did I do something wrong? Do they not like me anymore, right? The, the trauma for young kids to be unfriended, right? <laughs> Because we know when you get it, you get a hit of dopamine, which feels good. It's why we like it. It's why we keep going back to it. Dopamine is the exact same chemical that makes us feel good when we smoke, when we drink, and when we gamble. In other words, it's highly, highly addictive, right? We have age restrictions on smoking, gambling, and uh, alcohol, and we have no age restrictions on social media and cell phones, which is the equivalent of opening up the liquor cabinet and saying to our teenagers, hey, by the way, this adolescence thing, if it gets you down, (laughs) 
But that's basically what's happening. That's basically what's happening, right? That's basically what happened. You have an entire generation that has access to an addictive, numbing t- chemical called dopamine through social media and cell phones as they're going through the high stress of adolescence. Why is this important? Almost every alcoholic discovered alcohol when they were teenagers. When we're very, very young, the only approval we need is the approval of our parents. And as we go through adolescence, we make this transition where we now need the approval of our peers. Very frustrating for our parents, very important for us. It allows us to acculturate outside of our immediate families into the broader tribe, right? It's a highly, highly stressful and anxious period of our lives, and we're supposed to learn to rely on our friends. Some people, quite by accident, discover alcohol and numbing effects of dopamine to help them cope with the stresses and anxieties of adolescence. Unfortunately, that becomes hardwired in their brains. And for the rest of their lives, when they suffer significant stress, they will not turn to a person. They will turn to the bottle. Social stress, financial stress, career stress. That's pretty much the primary reasons why an alcoholic drinks, right? What's happening is because we're allowing unfettered access to these dopamine-producing devices and media, basically it's becoming hardwired. And what we're seeing is as they grow older, too many kids don't know how to form deep, meaningful relationships, their words, not mine. They will admit that many of their friendships are superficial. They will admit that their friends, that they don't count on their friends, they don't rely on their friends, they have fun with their friends, but they also know that their friends will cancel on them if something better comes along. Deep, meaningful relationships are not there because they never practice the skill set, and worse, they don't have the coping mechanisms to deal with stress. So when significant stress starts to show up in their lives, they're not turning to a person, they're turning to a device, they're turning to social media, They're turning to these things which offer temporary relief. We know, the science is clear, we know that people who spend more time on Facebook suffer higher rates of depression than people who spend less time on Facebook. So if you're a millennial and you feel picked on, it's not just about millennials, is it? Uh, We all all struggle with this, the the nature of technology and those relationships. We've all had those depressing moments where we're not feeling great about ourselves and you're just like scrolling through Facebook and you start feeling worse and worse and you just keep going, right? Uh, It's just, it's part of, it's part of the nature of what we deal with. And, and I want to say just a couple more things about social media. See, I think underlying social media, there are a couple of premises that are, that are, that are, that are um, just, that are bigger than just social media. See, part of the, part of the lure of social media is that it, it makes a promise to us that is something that we tend to believe is true anyway, that, that when it comes to relationships, more is better than fewer, right? That interacting with more people is better than fewer people. It's all about who you know. Not only that, uh, we also tend to believe that, um, that if there are shortcuts to intimacy, because intimacy is hard work, closeness is hard work, if there are shortcuts, you should take them. And so if I can see on social media where you went for your last vacation, if I can read about your latest promotion, if I can see what you had for lunch yesterday, if, if I can find out about the part that your kid got in the school play, and if I can do all of that, if I can have a look into your life like that, if I can, if I can feel close and aware about what's going on in your life without having to do all the work of relationship, then uh, sign me up, right? Sounds great. It's like, it's like sex without marriage. It's like buying with out having to work for anything. And, 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 and so what we end up doing is we end up spending a considerable amount of time on social media, but in life, building large networks of really shallow relationships. Time that could be spent, of course, cultivating deep, life-giving, sustaining uh, kinds of connections, connections that wouldn't just give us status, <laughs> 
but they'd actually give us life and meaning and fullness. They would be life-changing for us. See, I don't think this is just a social media problem, though. I think we do this um, a lot of places in life. For you, maybe it's, maybe it's gathering all your buddies together on a Sunday afternoon to watch football, or this time of year, it's probably more about March Madness coming up. Or maybe for you, it's getting all the girls together, all the ladies together for a, for a girls' night, a wine night. We know you call it book club, but we know what it really is. Um, it's a, and you know, there's nothing wrong with those things. They can be great in the right place. The question is, how do we measure connection? Is it, is it in the amount of hours that we spend together, or is it measured in something deeper? See, see for many of us, here's what's happened with, with connection and how we, how we think of it. We settle for being soothed rather than being satisfied. And we put all of our efforts then into building connections, relationships with people who we can pass the time with, people who will distract us, people who will entertain us, but people who don't necessarily fill us. And that means we've been lured into false connection. That's what we're talking about today, the lure of false connection. How how do you know? You know, you think about your relationships, the landscape of your relationships. How do you know whether they're, they're real or how do you know if, if it's this false connection stuff? Well, um, like all things today, I've developed a quiz for you, an eight-question quiz that will answer all of your questions and solve all your problems for life. So here's a, here's a quiz for you. And uh, as I go through this, um, there are going to be some statements. They're not really questions. Uh, they're statements. If you find yourself saying yes to these though, like they describe your relationships, or if you start thinking like, you know, I strongly agree on the Likert scale, um, then you might have a problem. You might, you might have fallen into the lure of false connection. Let's look. Number one, does this describe you or your relationships? We hang out and have drinks together, but we never talk about our problems. You know, we have a good time, but we never really talk about the, the stuff that's going on. Uh, number two, I like all your posts. As long as it's the good stuff, let's not get too heavy or controversial. Let's keep it light. Number three, we can go on vacation together as long as you never lose it with your kids in front of me or your spouse or even snore loudly or, you know, you just got to keep it all together and, and we can do this. We can, we can, you know, this seems like intimacy. We're going on vacation together as long as you never let your true self show through. Number four. I will have you over often for dinner, but please don't ever show up uninvited. You know, you, you may come over all the time, and it may feel like we've got a very open friendship, but don't show up when the house is a mess. Don't show up when I'm not ready for you, when I'm not in the mood. Boundaries, people. Number five, we play cards together. We may even share grandkids' stories, show our pictures, our latest pictures, but don't expect me to visit you in the hospital. I've got way too much to do. Number six, I'll ask you for advice. But don't ever challenge me unsolicited, right? I'm all ears if I'm asking you, hey, what do you think? And what, tell me about myself honestly. And I'm open, but, but if you just decide to tell me something about me, about my life, about my relationships, about my parenting, whatever it is, about my performance at work, and it's unsolicited, whew. Number seven, we share all kinds of struggles. We'll talk about, you know, the, the dog that got out and the bad day at work and the thing that happened with the car. We'll share all that kinds of stuff, but let's not talk about any of your dark secrets. Save those for the counselor. Number eight, of course you can sit at my auction table as long as there isn't anyone more influential available. Now, if you think through that list and, and you start to think, man, that... 
That sounds familiar. Then uh, don't feel too bad about it. Those need attention, but that just means you've been, you've been lured into false connection, and, and it happens to all of us. But here's what I want you to realize what, you, what you've done, is you have, you have made a deal that you are okay with being soothed rather than being truly satisfied. But, but see, chances are, if your relationships aren't great, you knew that already. <laughs> and uh, I'm just reminding you of something that's probably a source of pain in your life. I think a lot of us feel the deep ache that comes from disconnection, of not being known, of not, of not having the kinds of relationships that, that we want. And so what do you do when, when, when you realize that this is the state of your relationships? What do you do with that ache inside of you that longs for more, but you just don't know how to get there? How, how do you get there? See, see, this is when I tell you, at least you have a friend in Jesus, right? I mean, that's what we do. That's how we talk. And although it's true, you do have a friend in Jesus, and I don't want to make light of that because that, that's powerful if you can access that. See, I wonder how many of us, we, we, you know, we come to church and we do the thing and, and we, you know, like because we were raised this way or it's an expectation and, and, uh, and, and we talk to God and we even believe in God, but we don't understand that God has invited us into friendship with himself through Jesus. I wonder how many of us, for, for, for how many of us that's true. And I, I hope you know today that Jesus he wants to be a friend to you. In fact, he can be the best friend you've ever known because he's completely loyal. He will never betray you. He will stick with you through everything, through thick and thin, through ups and downs. He won't give you bad advice. He's not going to date your, your boyfriend or ex-girlfriend. He's not going to do that to you. In fact, in fact, Jesus, he's so dedicated to you, so devoted to you, that he's actually willing to lay down his life for you, which, which I think is the measure of a really good friend, Right? There's no greater love than this, that you lay down your life for a friend. Jesus has done that for you. And I know it sounds trite, but I hope, I hope you know that. I hope in your life you're taking steps to foster this, this friendship with God because it's life-changing. There's nothing, there's nothing like it. And, and yet, I don't want you to think for a minute that this is the only relationship that you need with Jesus. So you've also been created for connections with each other. That's what this series is about. Not just with Jesus, not just with God, but, but with each other. And if you find yourself kind of, you know, playing around with connection and, and living with a, with, a, with a network of relationships that may be pretty vast, but it's, it's pretty shallow, God wants more for you. And today we're going to talk about how you break free from the lure of false connection and how you begin to find true life-giving relationships. To do that, we're going to look at Proverbs 27. I don't know if you've ever read through the Proverbs. They're, they're pretty fascinating. Um, what we're going to do today as we look through Proverbs 27 is, by the way, this is a, a proverb that's dedicated to all kinds of relationship advice. We're only going to look at five verses, and I'm going to run through them really quickly at first, and then we're going to jump back and, and start over and go a little deeper. So Proverbs 27, verse 5. It says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted but an enemy multiplies kisses. One who is full loathes honey from the comb, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. Like a bird that flees its nest is anyone who flees from home. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Do not forsake your friend or a friend of your family, and do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. Better is a neighbor nearby 
than a relative far away. So if you've never read Proverbs before, you can kind of see it's, it's pretty dense. Pithy statement after pithy statement, lots of wisdom packed in together. Some people like to read a proverb a day because there's 31 of them. And so if today's the 26, you can read the 20, Proverbs 26 and they kind of do that to digest them because they're pretty dense. Today, I just want to jump back at the beginning of that section again. And I want to look at the wisdom that God offers us on how to, how to, how to break free from false connection and how to find the thing that God created us for, which is, which is something so much deeper and, and so much more satisfying. So uh, verse five, better is open rebuke than hidden love. If I could uh, phrase it as a word of advice for you, I'd say this, stop hiding your love. I think that's the wisdom here, stop hiding your love. See, often in life, we love people, we, we feel affection for them, we, we're glad they're in our life, they matter to us, they add value to our life, and yet we never express it. Why? Because that's awkward, that's scary, it's, it's, it's scary to be the first one to say that. Now, in a romantic relationship, that's scary enough, but we get, we get accustomed to that. In families, to tell someone you love them, that's okay, but, but in, in, in other friendships and relationships, to say, say you love someone? What if you say it first and they don't say it back? What, what if they find that really threatening? What if they question your sexuality? What if a whole bunch of other things happen and, and, and you didn't mean for that to happen? You just wanted them to know they were important to you and now you've created this whole mess. See, Proverbs would say, and it does say, that, that, in, that, that love that's hidden is worthless love. It means nothing if it's not demonstrated, expressed. In fact, to chew somebody out, that's better. You know, to have an open rebuke, to have someone chew you out, that's better than to have someone who loves you but keeps that love unexpressed, unspoken, hidden. And again, I I know it's scary to go first, to be the person who, who says, you know what, we hang out all the time and I just want you to know that, that you matter to me. You, you're, you're a meaningful person in my life and, and I love you and I, I care about you deeply and I'm so grateful God's put you in my life. To, to say something like that, oh my gosh, it's so vulnerable, it's terrifying, right? And yet you'll be surprised when you begin to open up and, and, uh, and speak those things, how quickly it will take your relationship deeper. Next. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Hold up, wounds from a friend? <laughs> I don't know about you, but when a friend wounds me, that's usually when they stop being my friend. And I think that's how we work, right? Not only do they stop being my friend, but then I tell all my other friends and we gang up on them and they got no friends, right? You're blacklisted, no soup for you. Uh, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. What is this about? I think this is a call to have real conversations. To have real conversations. Maybe some of you need to write that down. See, what does an enemy do? An enemy multiplies kisses. And what does that mean? An enemy keeps things pleasant and light and fun and easy. An enemy flatters you. An enemy doesn't challenge you. That's what an enemy does. And for a lot of us, that describes the nature of our relationships. We keep them light and easy and surfacey and airy. We, we just kind of stay at surface level. Why? Because that's safe. That's safe. But when you start having real conversations, that's when, that's when things get real. That's when they get scary. That's when they get difficult. That's when, when you have real conversations, you might rub against each other. That's when you might say something that, that wounds the other person. And that's why we don't do it. I think this is even true in our relationship with God. 
you know, we just try to keep things at, at surface level. So again, we come to church, we, we do our thing, we pray our prayers that other people have written because those are doctrinally correct and we won't mess anything up or say anything wrong. And, and this, this, this idea of getting real with God of getting unscripted, of, of getting into the stuff, of, of talking to God about, about our confusion, about our doubt, about our anger, talking to God about how he, we feel like he's let us down, how he's disappointed us. That sounds scary. And yet, and yet the truth is, that's what a relationship is. And if you're living at the surface level with God, you just kind of come in and you pray the prayers, you do the thing. That's not, you, I mean, you're just barely skimming the surface of what it means to have a relationship with God. And the same thing is true in your human relationships. Same thing's true. If it's all light and surfacey and easy all the time and never challenging, or it's, it's not only not real, but it's not gonna ever truly be satisfying in your life. So again, it's pretty simple to do, scary to do, but begin to have real conversations. Cut through the chatter about, oh, so what'd you do yesterday? Oh, what's the weather like? What's your next vacation? That stuff's fine, but, but begin to talk about real stuff, the stuff that's actually going on in life, and you'll be surprised how quickly your relationships uh, can go deeper. Third, one who is full loathes honey from the comb, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. That's a call to endure the bitterness. Endure the bitterness. Relationships are difficult. Uh, I talked to you a lot about that last week. My mind has not been changed in a week either. They're still difficult, right? I mean, there, there are bitter moments in every relationship. And what happens to us, if we just kind of have, have been feeding ourselves on false connection and all that, that surfacey stuff, the, the pleasant, easy, sweet stuff, then when you come across something substantive, something worthwhile, you, you, won't even, you won't even care, you won't even notice it because you're filled up with, with the sugary sweetness, the, the junk food, the Smarties and potato chips and ho-hos and whatever else it is, right? You, 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 won't even, you won't even be able to tolerate something that's real and substantive and life-giving. But on the other hand, if you begin to starve yourself of some of that stuff, if you begin to back off all of that superficiality and... And you begin, to, you, begin to, you begin to ask God for something deeper in your relationships. When you begin to hunger, that's what it talked about in Proverbs, when you begin to hunger for real connection, then you can endure the bitterness. Uh, this is kind of like the kale of life, right? Um, bitter, tastes terrible, um, but it's really good for you. And you can learn, you can learn that it's, that it's good for you, but not while you're eating all the other stuff. And, and so, so in relationships so often, again, we just, we just have to, we just have to just kind of cut out our idea of what relationships should be so that we can experience that hunger so that when we come up to these moments, we don't move on. We don't, we don't spit that person out. We don't, we don't like just, ah, this is, this is uncomfortable. But we, we can realize that there's something good even in the bitterness, something that we need there. Next. Like a bird that flees its nest is anyone who flees from home. This is a call to be exclusive. To be exclusive. Now, I know this sounds fine in marriage or in a relationship, but just in friendship, maybe you don't feel comfortable with this. Maybe this doesn't even sound fully Christian to you, that you should be exclusive. But I've talked to you about this before. Do you know that you can at most handle five intimate relationships in your life? We're talking about really close, like best, best, best friend relationships. 
At the most, you can handle five of those. I mean, that's everybody. That's, that's your, your partner, your spouse, your, your, you know, your best friend. I mean, five at most. And then, and then at most, you can probably add another 10 people around that circle of five, and you can have people who, who you could lean on when you're going through a hard time. That's about 15 people. It's not a lot. Um, but some of us, we try to break the odds. We try to work against that, that natural principle. And uh, we really want to be friends with everyone. But you can't be friends with everyone. See, Proverbs talks about a, a bird that leaves its nest. And this isn't like a fledgling who goes off on its own and finds its way. This is like a mama bird who abandons her nest, abandons her birdies, whatever they're called in the nest. And uh, it's like a mama bird who, who just leaves those things behind. And so the word here is like, hey, don't, don't abandon your people. Today I want to ask you, do you even know who your people are? Or when you look at the landscape of your relationships, does it just all kind of look the same? You got 1,400 friends and, and they're all equal. Or, or do you understand, do you, do you see who your people are? Those, those people that, that are, that are, that are they, they should matter more. They're closer to you than anyone else. Do you know who they are? And then are you willing to protect those relationships? Are you willing to build into those relationships like you don't any other relationships? Are you willing to prioritize those relationships? See, the problem is, is that forming new friendships, it feels good. Dopamine, right? Maintaining relationships, it doesn't feel so good. And then there's all this societal pressure that comes against us when we're exclusive and, and, and it's fully possible to be friendly and hospitable and kind to people and still be exclusive, but society kind of tells you that that's cliquish or that's wrong or, or that's unkind or something. And so what do we think? We think, man, I got to invite the whole second grade class over for the sleepover because otherwise that's rude of me. And that may be fine for second grade, but we keep doing that when we're 40 years old. We kind of feel like we have, to, we have to treat everyone the same. That's not true. There are people that God has placed into your life who are deserving of more. More of you, more of your attention, more of your intimacy than others. You can't be friends with everyone. You, 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 have, to, you have to know who your people are so that you can make sure you don't abandon them. If you're friends with everyone, you're friends with no one. Next. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. This is uh, called a treasure substance. Treasure substance in your relationships, right? What's pleasant, what's, what smells nice, what's fragrant, heartfelt advice. We, we, you know, hey, she's a good time, he's a lot of fun, he's a blast. Hey, that's fine, but in your relationships, do you treasure substance? Someone who can give you heartfelt advice, someone who can go to the deep places with you. Now, finally, do not forsake your friend or a friend of your family and do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. Uh, Like with food, this is a call to uh, keep it local. With friendships, to keep it local. See, here's what I know and here's what I've discovered. That for a lot of people, if I talk to you about who are your people, who are your closest people, you will name maybe someone you grew up with, someone you went to college with. You may name a brother or a sister, a uh, family member. And, uh, and, and that's great. Those are important relationships to, uh, to develop. But sometimes I'll discover that that person, that brother, that sister, that college friend, that kid you grew up with, that they live three, four, or 500 miles away. 
And while I still think those relationships are worthy of investment because there's nothing like a long-tenured relationship, those are, those are really special, there is this call to, to keep it local, to actually do life with the people who are around you. Proverbs puts it in the, in the case of disaster. You know, if, if, uh, if you don't have a community nearby who's there to support you, if you don't have someone to run to when disaster strikes, when stuff goes down, then, then it's going to be hard for you. You know, when your kid gets sick or something else goes wrong or your basement floods, or maybe it's the other stuff. Maybe it's just when you're in over your head, when you're sad, when you can't manage life anymore. If your closest friends are 500 miles away, what good is that? So you've, you've got to have a network around you that is, that is local, that is nearby. Because not only are they close by when disaster strikes, but when you're not doing well, when you're sad, when you're not able to manage life, they will be able to see it on you and ask you about it before you ever have to, to muster up the courage to speak about it, right? Because they're there with you, doing life with you. They know you, they see you, they understand you, and, and they can read you. See, we've gotten so transient as a society and we've tended to believe that, that our little nuclear families are enough and they're not enough. Your family of, of four or five or, or household of one, it's not enough. God never asked you to be self-sufficient and to be able to manage life with just this little circle of, of people that are in your house. It's, it's not his intention for your life. See, God has made us to depend on one another to have a network, a community of people around us that we can be dependent on, that we can be needy with. And I know that's hard to do. I'm the least dependent and needy person, at least I try to be. I don't ever want to ask for help. And it's way easier to have guys you can drink beer with or people you can go to the concert with or whatever than it is to have people that that you invite into your life when you're not doing well or, or they just storm the gates of your life when you're not doing well. But that's what you need. And those people, need to be, those people need to be nearby. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at this whole list. I got the whole list here and here. And maybe you need to take a picture of the list with your phone right now. Write it down. This is wisdom of God from, from Proverbs 27. Uh, maybe, maybe for you, as, as we talk today, the spirit of God was nudging you and, and you realize that, that you're not, this is your thing. You, you need to tell your friends you love them. You need to express what they mean to you, or maybe it's, you know, I need to get past the trivialities and get to the real stuff, or, or I need to stop with all the superficial things and, and be able to endure the bitterness and not get rid of people the moment it gets tough, or maybe it's about exclusivity or, or uh, you know, knowing who your people are or treasuring substance or keeping it local. No, one of those probably jumped out to you. And maybe that was God's way of saying, hey, pay attention to this. So in this list of six, I think they're all important. I want you to highlight one of these things, identify one of these things, write it down. Um, type it into your phone. Send yourself an email. I do that all the time. And, and just say, I, I think this is, what, this is what my relationships need to take me from that place of, of surfacey relationships that soothe me, that pass the time, that keep me occupied, that distract me, that entertain me, to taking me to a place where my relationships are truly life-giving. They're satisfying. They're, they're meaningful. Maybe even today as I talked, maybe there was a person that God placed in your mind a relationship that you have that, that is currently at surfacey level, but, but that person kept coming to mind. Maybe that's the spirit of God nudging you to say, hey, this person is ripe for this kind of stuff. Start there. See, I realize you can't probably do six things well. I can't either. But is there one of these things that you could pick? 
Is there one of these things that you could apply to your relationships to begin to take them deeper? So here's what I just want to remind you of. God has more for you than the lure of false connection. Don't settle. And some of you, you you have believed, you have come to believe that you are not worthy. You are not deserving of true friendship. Uh, Maybe you've been hurt in the past by people, you've been rejected, and, and, and you don't believe that there are people out there who could love you or who are willing to love you or are willing to, to get through the hard stuff to really know you. Maybe that's where you are today. Here's what I just want you to know, that, that I believe and I know deep down in my spirit that God has placed people in your life, strategically put people around you right now, even today, and, and he has put those people there as as, as, a, as, as a gift to you. People that he desires for you to go deeper with to really understand the, how, how amazing and satisfying and life-giving relationships can be. And yet because you think you're unworthy or undeserving or they could never love you back or, or you're, you're just you know, too afraid to take the risk, whatever it is, those relationships are there but, but they're not what they could be. See, I just want to challenge you not to settle in your relationships. God has an amazing gift to give you in people. And uh, it takes work, it takes courage, this doesn't happen quickly. And yet, if, if you just open up your eyes and ask God to help you see who he's put in your life, and I guarantee you they're there. And if you're willing to do the work, led by his spirit with his encouragement, you'll, you'll get there. You'll get away from this surfacey stuff to a place where your relationships are truly Satisfying. In fact, I want to pray for that for you right now. Father in heaven, I thank you that you've created us not just for a relationship with you, but that even in the garden, you looked at us and you said, it's not good, it's not good that anyone should be alone. And so you put others around us. Father, thank you for that gift of people. And yet, um, we don't always know what to do with that gift. We don't know how to recognize it. We, we don't know how to, how to make the most of it. Father, will you begin to teach us more and more about what it looks like to take our relationships deeper? Would, would, you, would you just give us a, uh, a bigger imagination for what our relationships could be? And then give us the courage and the reassurance of who we are in you and, and so that we can, we can do the work necessary to make our relationships deeper and more satisfying. Father, I pray that you would work that in us, that you'd give us that gift, that you would uh, keep needling us so we don't settle. I ask this in Jesus. Amen. Today I realize that what we've talked about could be painful for you. Um, and you know, relationships, they don't come quickly. They, they don't get built easily. And if today you're just kind of feeling that, that pang of, uh, of loneliness and disconnection, and this just kind of unearthed some stuff for you. Here's what I want you to know. Not only does God have people around you that he wants to bless you with in relationship, but hear me on this. God is one who is standing here ready, arms wide open. He's not holding anything back from you. You don't have to worry that he's going to reject you if you run to him. And, and he is just waiting. He is just waiting 
to set his affection on you and to give you all the gifts of a relationship with himself. In fact, more than waiting, he's pursuing you. As we sing this next song, I just want you to sink deep into that truth.